0: And I am so excited to have Pascale Duvet with me. She is an amazing expert on communication. We have talked, we have collaborated. I am thrilled to be able to offer her expertise and she's so generous in sharing. So we are starting a four-part series on parents and teens, two different species, and it's all about communication. So, this is our first episode. But before we begin, I would like Pascal to have an opportunity to introduce herself. So, Pascal, thank you and welcome.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, a little bit about me. I come from Quebec City. So, I was raised in a typical French speaking Quebec family. My name comes from a French, you know, it's, it's French. So, of course, uh, Pascal Dubé is not something you hear very often in, the, in an Anglophone community. I'm the youngest of three sisters, and both my parents are historians, and they are both prone to analyze the world through the lens of history and be super, uh, super rational about everything. Um, and we were a pretty happy family uh, until tragedy struck when my eldest sister Sophie was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And back then I was only 10 years old. And as you can imagine, I had to grow up quite quickly uh, because my parents had to spend a lot of time taking care of my sister. And um, my other sister and I, That uh, we grew up together and we were pretty much left to our own devices for a couple of years uh, when I was just starting my teenage years. And emotions and communications were and are still a little bit of a challenge in my, in my family. We were always able to share information that was all right, but uh, we somehow avoided uh, emotionally charged discussions, so I kind of grew up in in this kind of atmosphere where I had to learn to communicate and to deal with my own emotions, and as most teenagers do, I resented my parents for the way they handle things a little bit, and they never sought help for us to cope with the emotions that we were going through, but as I have now come to realize, because I grew up and I, I matured, all parents, including mine, they always do the best they can. And sometimes pride or shame or the way they were brought up, it prevents them from asking for help. And as a result, there is always lingering pain for all involved, whether it's the parents or the kids. And uh, it still goes on even years later. We we still have a, we have a very good relationship. I have a good relationship with my parents, but the pain you know is still there. And as we all know, when tough times arise, we we develop coping mechanism to deal with, to deal with what's going on. And in my case, the coping mechanism I came up with was learning to analyze human behaviors, uh, learn to really look at other people, see what their motivations were empathize with them. And um, the way I coped with my own pain was actually helping out uh, my friends at school, or people in my family that were going through stuff. So I kind of always was there to support them. And that's where my coaching began, actually. And that's where I come from is, is, is basically my communication skills come from that, uh, that event, that really molded me and shaped me into being able to communicate better and deal with my emotions and help others do too. So, um, yeah. I
0: love, Pascal, I love that recognition and I believe it very strongly too, that parents do the best they can. And it's unfortunate that somehow we have this stigma that it's a shame to ask for help. When help is readily available, Here you are, you've been through family trauma, you know, and you use that to develop a service that will benefit families. I love that. I am so excited we get to do this series. So our first, we're going to be starting with technology, right? You labeled
1: it the conundrum of technology. Yes, it's a bit of a conundrum because we think that technology is used to help each other to connect better. So social media was actually invented in order for people to connect, but in some way it disconnects us. So it's kind of a catch 22, because if you don't use it, then you're not, you know, the the YOLO, You, you only live once and FOMO, fear of missing out. It's all part of this new way of communicating that kind of disconnects us from our emotions. It's all about appearance and technology even though it helps us communicate better with each other. You know, we're, we're always available, always accessible through our phones. Um, in another way, we are not communicating the, t- the true stuff. You know, we're not communicating from the heart. We're communicating more from the head and we're using our head. But technology is a good tool, but you have to use it properly and um, as a parent, it's your job to raise your children and to make them aware of uh, the challenges and the dangers that the technology actually carries. And it's your job too, to make sure that technology doesn't impair the development of your, of your teenagers. And uh, with COVID, that was a huge thing because we're always on, on our screens, always looking at a screen and still and
0: and you get family dinner and everyone's on their phone. They're sitting down at the same table but the communication is not
1: not there. It's not there and it, there's a big part of life and of family life that you are missing if you don't have those discussions at family dinner. I remember when I was younger those were the best times we had because my father was always coming from school telling all these stories about what what was happening. And it was a window in the reality of our parent that made us actually understand their reality better. And the same goes on the other way. If you're discussing what's happening with you at family dinner, then the parent knows what's going on with you. So um, this is very important thing that is actually lacking nowadays with the phones.
0: I've heard many families have the rule no electronics at the dinner table.
1: It's a very good rule to have. It's a very good rule to have. You know, when your teenager grew up uh, in these technology, technological advancement days, and they are always on their phones, maybe they are also mimicking something that you are doing. So it's important to lead by example, uh, not only in the technology area, but always uh, also in, in other areas of your life but if you are an addict to your phone then the chances are that your kids will also display the same behaviors so it's you're the parent so basically you are responsible for you know leading by example and putting the rules the
0: teenagers need to see the parents putting down their phone and making eye contact and sharing genuine feelings not the You know, you've seen the jokes about the getting up, getting dressed and then trying to take a picture showing that you just got out of bed, you know, putting your makeup on, fixing your hair or the really delicious looking healthy salad, taking a picture of that
1: and then actually eating (laughs) a hot dog. Are you enjoying your salad if all you do is taking pictures? I'm not sure living in the moment with technology and, and social is nowadays it's kind of weird because everything is automatic mm-hmm. everything is instant and instant instantaneous, instantaneous instant
0: gratification
1: it, yeah instant gratification there you go so everything happens super quickly but in a culture that has a fear of missing out i feel like technology makes us miss out on so many things that life has to offer. We don't live in the moment anymore.
0: Oh, definitely. Do you ever feel like it's alienating us from our emotions? We're putting on the fake smile or maybe over-dramatizing a problem at work rather than being genuine. Now, how can parents help their teenagers learn how to deal with their emotions, or you, you mentioned example in, in terms of regulating electronic use, there's example. And we also have cyberbullying. How can a parent help the teen who's maybe a victim of online bullying?
1: The thing is, is that if the Every parent has a different view of um, what's good for their children and the child most of the time also has a view of what's best for them. Now, parents and teenagers are their own people. Sometimes there is opposition between what the parent and the kid feel like is good for them. And there's a big thing and there's a big problem for parents I feel is that they don't necessarily know what's going on um, in uh, on social media or on on the internet with their kids so if the relationship is a trusting relationship so if the boundaries are there if the teenager has their own privacy without having to you know fight for it all the time because it's also something that teenagers tend to fight for their privacy if the if the trust has been set up early on and if the trust is there you can always have those discussions with your child with your child in terms of, you know, how how, how are things going? And if the trust is there, if there's a problem, just make sure that your kid knows that your door is open and that there will never be any judgment from you if they come to you with a problem. Teenagers are at a sexual, they have sexual discovery. They are trying new things, some things you may not like. But of course, if the judgment comes first, then you make sure that the communication line is broken between you and your teenager. So put aside your judgment, yeah.
0: First, you're sending this message of love and support. I believe in you. I trust you. And then you can express some concern.
1: I think so. I think if if trust isn't there, well, first, trust is a two-way street. So if you want your kid to trust you, you have to trust your kid. And you have to make sure that they know that you trust them. You can have fair warning, of course, but if the trust has been established and is there and the communication line is not broken, then expressing concern will only come, and you can express it. It comes from a place of love. Yes. There is no judgment. The judgment is the, I think, is the biggest issue between teenagers and parents is teenagers sometimes feel judged by their parents. Yes. Because they are. So, yeah.
0: Well, it also sounds like this doesn't just this is something it doesn't just start in their teen years. This is something you're establishing when your child is very young. I remember my daughter as as her children were growing and she would explain to them, you know, when they were very young, like five or six years old, when they start getting on computers on the network. And explaining, if you go to someone else's house, I need to know. I need to know where you are. I need to know what houses you're going to. So I need to know what websites you're going to. And and establishing it then, it's you're loving and caring for your child. And then you build on that. As they get older, they may become more independent. And when you say trust your children, that doesn't mean you let them do what they want to do. You've established boundaries. You've made it clear the standard of the house or however it's presented. And you are, does there need to be some communication over, here are the boundaries. When these boundaries are violated, then this needs to happen.
1: Exactly. I think it's another thing that teenagers, you know, they tend to try to push the envelope and push you and see and test where the limits are, because that's what their, that's where the development is is pushing them towards. You know, they want to be their own person. They want to make their own decisions. They they want to be independent from you. That's what they're looking for. But independence comes with responsibilities. Mm -hmm. So if they don't, Uh, If they're not responsible for their actions, which means if they don't accept consequences for their actions, they will never learn to be their own person. And um, I used to coach people in a business setting, and it's the same thing for managers and leaders. There are micromanagers and there are leaders. What you want to be is to be the leader in the life of your child, is to empower them to make the right decisions to assume the consequences of their actions. And if the consequences don't come from outside the home, then the consequences must come from inside the home. But you have to communicate them prior to the action. So to have the discussion about, for for instance, I'm gonna give you an example. If a a child wants to, I don't know, go to a party, it's COVID, so parties are not. super popular right now but they will come back yes yes with a vengeance probably (laughs) so if your teenager wants to go to a party then just make sure that they know what the boundaries are they know what the rules are you allow them to go and to make their decisions out there but just make sure that they know what the consequences will be if they overstep or if they if they don't respect the rules that you put out but you can negotiate It's also a time when you're a teenager and you've got a teenager and you're a parent. Negotiating the terms will become super important. And as they grow older and are more empowered and are more responsible, then you're going to leave them with more freedom, with more um, autonomy. And um, that's what making a responsible adult is. You have to teach them responsibility throughout their life.
0: And I think it's very helpful to keep this long-term goal in mind as you parent to keep thinking, remembering your goal is to raise an independent adult. And eventually, your child should be able to make all decisions without you. Yeah. And, and, and you, you still want that communication, of course. But I loved your analogy with business leadership. There's the micromanager, and everyone knows what it's like to, to work, have that kind of a boss. And then there's the leader.
1: What I've observed in, the, in my years of coaching managers is that basically, if you want to have disempowered, uh, unmotivated employees, put them with a, a micromanager. And the same goes with teenagers. If you're a parent that's really into small things, Uh, Who's who's thinking micro? Who wants to keep them being kids because you're insecure? Then you know, don't be surprised if your teenager doesn't have or doesn't show any motivation.
0: Yeah, yeah, and is still living with you when they're (laughs) thirty-five.
1: That's another thing. Yeah,
0: (laughs) but yeah, how heartbreaking. To me, that is so sobering to think of an attempt to take someone's autonomy. I mean, really, it's a form of taking away their life. If you're raising them to be so dependent on you or in some way sending the message that they, that they are unable to make decisions for themselves and must rely on you, that is a serious consequence. And I think parents really don't want to go there. I, I think they, know, they want what's best for their teenager, what's best for their child.
1: As we said, parents do the best they can. And, you know, parents are imperfect. And it's also something that I think when we grow, um, when we grow up, teenagers is also the time where you realize that your parents are not perfect. And this imperfection also makes you question their authority because, you know, are they really better than I am? And so this, this confrontation comes and it's, it's healthy. Very but healthy. It's also healthy. It's for the parent. It's for the parent to show that, you know what, you're right. You know, I, I assume the fact that I'm not perfect, that I don't know everything that I can learn things from my from my teenager. Your teenager will will teach you so much about yourself.
0: You're opening this dialogue. You're learning from your teenager. I like the way you use the word negotiating. You're being open and honest about your concerns, how you care for your teenager, what you want for them. You're listening carefully as and inviting them to be completely open about their concerns, their desires for themselves.
1: And, and they, they will tell you what their boundaries are. You know, if you're if you're listening carefully to what to what they're saying, they are expressing sometimes. Sometimes teenagers are, are super in opposition. You know, they're op- opposing you any way they can and they are confrontational. But the fact they are confrontational, there's an information there. So if yes. their reaction is very explosive, there's something that's bothering them that you have to make sure you address with them.
0: Yeah, they. you're right. You're right. It is giving you information about them. And I don't know if this is what you had in mind, but I'm thinking of another conundrum is that parents typically will set a time limit of... This this much screen time, and then in the pandemic when there's they, their children can't go out to can't can't go to a party or hang out with friends or to school, suddenly those time limits on screen time had to become more flexible.
1: Yeah, that's right. I think COVID. Uh, COVID showed us where our our um, limitations were as a society. It showed us where our weaknesses were as well. Um, when we can go out and meet other people and have a social life outside of the home, and it's been hard on parents too. It's not only been hard on teenagers. You know, parents, they've been overwhelmed There was a mix between professional life and personal life that was really hard to handle, and you can see it two ways. You can see it as a hard challenge, or you can seize an opportunity. Now, what kind of opportunity was there during COVID? Well, perhaps you had to rely more on your imagination. You had to rely more on your creativity. connect you had to find new ways to entertain yourself or entertain your family you know because the the cell of the family was and the social life and the social cell was so much smaller And you had to find new ways to communicate so some people who were perhaps more disposed and and more creatively disposed were uh, probably more able to do the trend make the transition and still be able to limit screen time. But there's a fatigue with screens, and perhaps there's another opportunity post-COVID that people will be so tired of screens that they might go out more. You know, it's always a balance.
0: Yeah, I think it's safe to say that with all of the Zoom, we usually call them Zoom meetings, people are just done (laughs) they don't want to get in front of a computer again and and what parent hasn't had a child disrupt a business zoom meeting invariably they're going to walk through the room or come in with a question even teenagers and i i've heard another guest i interviewed Explain, even if that Zoom meeting is an interview for the dream job of your life, are you going to make a better impression if you say, just a moment, I I need to take care of something, I'll be right back. Or if you turn and yell at your child or your team.
1: Exactly. The way you present yourself, that's another thing that comes with technology. I think we developed new skill set when it comes to presentation, um, because of social media and because of COVID, but we also took a peek in the lives of our coworkers. You couldn't separate home and work. Home and work were no longer separated. Exactly, (laughs) and I think to some extent, maybe uh, relationships in businesses or relationships in families were actually tightened because we were like with each other so close together that, and we had only these people to interact with. So we had to deal with conflict when we are working and having a social life outside and the kids are not home or the kids are, I don't know, playing baseball and they're having at school. Exactly. When everyone is like having their own social circle, sometimes we don't address conflicts or we don't address problematic problems. We don't address problems at home and COVID made it mandatory to address those those things or those, those issues that we were facing at home that sometimes were just uh, brushed under the rug.
0: And I love that you've had the background in business because you see a lot of those dynamics. Again, parents are managers, supervisors, with, with the difference that they have a long-term interest and deep love and devotion for their children, of course. But again, they want them to succeed. They want them to progress. So when you work with families, do you work just with parents? Do you work with the whole family?
1: Usually, um, I will go back a little a little more again on my story. Um, I used to work with teenagers uh, in summer camps. And I really, really loved the teenagers. I worked with four and five years old, I found them to be too small and not interactive enough. And when I came into 10 years old and older, those were my people. I really loved working with them. But I feel like teenagers, they have so many possibilities and are, their brains are still plastic. You know, They can learn super fast. I think it's harder for parents to change They need to change because the world is evolving so fast and their children will face challenges that we have no clue now, the the extent of the the challenges that their their kids will face. And I think it, it makes a lot of parents very anxious. They want to make sure that their team is equipped to face those challenges that will come. So I prefer to work with parents because I feel like my I feel like my coaching will help them more and impact the teenagers. If I work on the teenagers, they, of course, they, they learn super fast and they learn super quickly, but the relationship with the parent may not change. I think changes must come from the parent first. So that's why I work more with parents, but I also assess if there's a problematic, uh, problem between a parent and a teenager. I would want to talk to the teenager to see what their point of view is as well, because you want to have the whole picture if you want to do an intervention.
0: And it's a system. And as you said, they interact and you can get one part of the system to change. But if the other part doesn't, it's too easy to fall back into old patterns. I love that, that systemic approach where you're It sounds like in cases you can work with both the parents and the teenagers and the focus being on communication. And we think, oh, well, that sounds easy. You know, it's easy to talk, but it is much more complex than that.
1: Yes, it is. You know, and I've I've worked in I've worked in so many different industries. I worked in cinema and there was a saying it's not because you own a computer, then you can write a screenplay. It's the same thing with communications. You have a mouth, you have two ears. Use them properly because communications is more about listening than talking.
0: I like that. I love it. All right. Any other thoughts? We want to wrap up on technology.
1: Yes. Well, I, you mentioned the limit, limiting the time, the screen time. As you said in COVID, parents um kind of let it go a little bit now things are going to begin to reopen i don't think it will be an issue because i believe that children will be so happy to see their friends that uh it might not be as big an issue as we are we think we will face
0: just going outside is big stuff
1: (laughs) and actually seeing and and you know meeting and touching each other and just you know seeing the full body, not only the face. That's another thing. Uh, it's a it's a good concern for parents to have um, when it comes to sleep. Uh, I know that putting a cap uh, or um, a curfew on on screen is probably the best thing you could do for your child's health because uh, sleep is super important when you're a teenager. You grow up fast. Your hormones are out of whack. Your brain needs time to recover and assimilate what you've learned throughout the day sleep is is a big 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 issue when it comes to health even in adults and teenagers is even more so if there's one thing or one takeaway you have to you have to implement at home is to put a curfew a cap on your child's uh, screen no
0: no screen time after what is it? I've heard it recommended two hours before you go to bed or?
1: Uh, well, they say that there's the, the there's the light, the blue light. There were actually researchers at Stanford between 10 p.m. and 4 a.m. If you see blue light in your eyes, it can disrupt your whole system. So really at least at 10 p.m. shut down all the screen in the house. Yeah,
0: that is good to know. So 10 p.m. Blue light out.
1: Yes, exactly. Out. (laughs) Turn off your your devices. And that's good for parents too. Turn off your computers. Turn off the TV if you can. And turn off your phone at 10 p.m.
0: Awesome. All right. So I love this. And next time we're going to get into strategies to use when you're communicating with your teen. I'm really looking forward to that. Because I know there are a lot of parents who would love to communicate with their teen, but their teen, they just can't get their teen to talk. That's the complaint. How do you get them to talk? So that'll be great.
1: Thank you so much. We'll talk about that next time.
0: All right, Pascal. Thank you. You have a great day. You too. We have just concluded another episode of In Supportive Families. If you enjoyed the show and found it valuable, We appreciate you leaving us a review or recommending us to your friends. For more helpful resources, visit our website at insupportoffamilies.com. Join us again next week. And thanks for listening.